You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled The Law of Christ. Hello, my radio friends. It's good that you've tuned into today's program, as I want to share something with you that has caused quite a lot of confusion in the minds and beliefs of many people. It's about the law of Christ. So, what is this all about? The expression, the law of Christ, appears only once in the whole Bible although a similar expression is found in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 21. Here is the reference. The term, the law of Christ, is found in Galatians 6, 2. The text says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Is the law of Christ different from the law of God, the Ten Commandments? Does the law of Christ supplant or replace the law of God? If the law of Christ replaced the Ten Commandments, when did this happen? And what does it mean to keep the law of Christ? These are some of the questions you may have and I hope to answer them for you today. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus clearly stated what the law of Christ was and is. He said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. He goes on to say, By this all men will know that you are my followers, my disciples, if you love one another. The statement is expanded somewhat in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. Here, Jesus said the following, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So, put in the simplest terms, the law of Christ means to love others and love God. Your love for God will show by how you love others. So that's why in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus simply said to love one another. There are two points to consider before we go on. When Jesus announced he was giving a new command, did he say anything about removing or replacing the old ones? The answer is no. It's a bit like this. You say, I bought some new clothes today. There is no suggestion 
that the older clothes would be immediately tossed out. The new clothes are in addition to or a supplement of the old ones. The second point is, and you may have noticed when I was reading the text from Matthew 22 verse 40, that Jesus said, All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This means that the old is still attached to the new. It means that the foundation of all the Ten Commandments is to love God and to love our fellow human beings. You see, love is the basic principle. Now, let's look at another verse. It's 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. The Apostle John, writing to the churches under his care, says this, Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one that you have had from the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. If you look up the reference, 1 John 2, and read on from verse 7, you will see that the Apostle writes about the same thing Jesus spoke about, of loving one another. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Christian believers on much the same theme. What then does it mean to love one another? It means to respect others, to respect their rights, their property, their families, their beliefs, their backgrounds, and to want to do good to them. In loving others, you will not want to harm hurt or disappoint anybody. And in case you've not noticed, that's exactly what the Ten Commandments are all about. The Ten Commandments are more explicit, but they say the same thing as the law of Christ. There is no difference. I see it like reading a newspaper article. At the top is the headline, a broad statement. Then, as you read on, there you find the detail. Love one another is just like the headline. The Ten Commandments are like the detail. Now, there are some who claim that the Ten Commandments were abolished at Calvary. To support their claim, they use a text found in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. I'll read from verse 13 through to the end of verse 14. It says, God forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. The written code, or as another translation puts it, the handwriting of ordinances, is mistakenly thought of as being the Ten Commandments. But that's a big mistake. The written code is simply the ceremonial or mosaic laws about sacrifices and so on. The apostles Peter 
Paul, Jude, John, and James, who wrote most of the New Testament, had no doubts that the Ten Commandments remained in force and intact. So what did Christ have to say about this issue? Jesus did have something to say, and and what he said, he said very forcefully. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. He said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And then he goes on to say that anyone teaching that any or all of the commandments could be broken or ignored puts himself in jeopardy of eternal damnation. Jesus kept the Ten Commandments perfectly as he was without sin. It doesn't make sense that Jesus kept the commandments expecting them to be tossed out at the crucifixion. And you would have thought he would have said something about it if at his crucifixion the law, the Ten Commandments, was to be completely wiped out. You would have thought also that he would have outlined that there would be another way to define sin. But he said nothing to that effect because the law was to remain. In Romans chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, the Bible says this, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. You can't be judged by the law if it's been abolished. And it's stupid to to suggest that the law was done away with. Those who make that claim have misunderstood that one text in Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 and ignore a whole truckload of other texts that maintain that the Ten Commandments remain in force. It is impossible to prove from the Bible that God's law has been set aside in favour of of the summary of it, the law of Christ. After all, Christ, the second person of the Godhead, and God the Father are one. Jesus explained that perfectly clearly in John chapter 10 verse 30, where he said, I and my Father are one. If one law was removed and replaced by another, then God would be at odds with himself 
and that just cannot happen. Now, strange as it may seem, most people are in favour of God's law, or at least most of it. They recognise that it protects them, and it is the basis of good civil law. But there is one main thing that's the stumbling block, and that's the fourth commandment, which states that people should keep the seventh-day Sabbath. It is a holy day, because God made it so. People have gone to great lengths to disassociate themselves from their obligation to keep the seventh day of the week as a holy day, And after the break, I'm going to list some of the things that people say to justify their disobedience. One night a sleepy little boy knelt beside my bed. He smiled and looked into my eyes, and this is what he said. Daddy, my daddy, you've taught me lots today. So daddy, my daddy, teach me how to pray. You brought me home a brand new kite and showed me how to fly. And there ain't no other kid whose dad can knock a ball so high. I'd like to thank God for you, but I don't know what to say. So, Daddy, my Daddy, teach me how to pray. I had to turn and leave his room, and he began to cry. I didn't want my boy to know, but so did I. His best pal had forsaken him. But what was there to see? For Daddy, his Daddy, had forgotten how to pray. Daddy, my Daddy, teach me how to pray. Just before the break, I said that I was going to share with you some of the reasons that people come up with to disobey the fourth commandment. They say, firstly, that the Sabbath was only for the Jews. But Jesus denounced that idea where he said the Sabbath was made for man, for mankind. Secondly, they say that the law of God, the Ten Commandments, were abolished at Calvary. (laughs) No, they were not. What was abolished was the ceremonial law, referring to sacrifices and sin offerings, because at Calvary Jesus gave his life as the ultimate and all-encompassing sacrifice for our sins. Thirdly, some say that the law of Christ covers the law of God. Yes, it does, but it doesn't eliminate it. Fourthly, some people say that they live under grace and not under the law. 
Now I'll share something more about this with you soon afterwards. Fifthly, some say that they worship every day of the week, thus excusing themselves from the need to worship on God's particular day. Yet, many of those who come up with that very excuse regularly attend church on Sunday, the first day of the week. They have chosen their own particular day instead of God's day. Sixthly, some say to worship on the seventh-day Sabbath is not convenient. Yet at the same time they are happy to accept Jesus' sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to put up with all the opposition, rejection, ridicule, pain and ultimately death to pay the price for their forgiveness. What a trade-off, where Jesus gave everything for them, yet they are not prepared to lift a finger for him because it's not convenient. And of course, they also maintain that they keep an alternate worship day Sunday in recognition that Christ rose from the dead that day. But at the same time, they ignore God's explicit command to keep the seventh-day Sabbath as the holy day. And then there's this point, and this one's an absolute doozy. They say that there was a mistake when the Bible was translated into English from the Greek language. They say that the Sabbath should have meant Sunday. Yet even today, the Greek word for Saturday is Savato. In English, Sabbath. Saturday. Greek for Sunday is Kyriaki. How could the translators possibly get those two words mixed up? The cowardly attempts people make to wriggle out of their obligation to keep the fourth commandment make me wonder. But there is another important point that must not be overlooked, and that's this. As soon as anyone seeks to change what God has said, they put themselves on a higher plane than God. And according to me, that's blasphemy. It's like saying, Ah, oh God, you made a mistake. You don't know what you're doing, but I do. I'll just change it because I know better than you. In effect, that is what happens when anyone chooses to ignore or change what God has commanded. I don't know about you, but I feel that to take the position of thinking you know better than God is placing yourself on very dangerous and precarious ground. In effect, you would be calling God a liar or a fool. Theologians from many different religious persuasions have recognised that the Bible does not and has not 
condoned or recognized any change to the fourth, to the Sabbath commandment. The changes have been made by man, not by God. Those changes have never been authorized by God, who gave the commandments in the first place. According to God's word, the commandments stand firm today and forever. They have never been altered or watered down. Now, as promised, I want to share with you about what it means to be under the law and or under grace. The Apostle Paul wrote extensively about this because in the early apostolic churches, especially in Galatia, there were Jewish converts who agitated that it was necessary to keep the old ceremonial custom of circumcision in order to be saved. What they were pushing for, primarily, had nothing to do with the moral law, the Ten Commandments, although, by implication, they may have been involved. You see, those agitators were claiming that it was necessary to keep the law in order to be saved. In their case, they meant the ceremonial law. To put it another way, they were saying, to be saved, you have to keep the law. Oh no, said the Apostle Paul, that's wrong. You are saved by grace through God's gracious act where Jesus, the second person of the Godhead or God the Word, took our punishment on himself. He became our substitute. We are saved by grace. We are therefore under grace. Because we've all sinned, We've all broken the law. If someone had committed only one sin but kept the rest of the law perfectly for the rest of their lives, they are still condemned by that one sin. Keeping the rest of the law flawlessly would be admirable, but it's not sufficient to save them. So when it says one is under the law, that's when a person thinks that by keeping the law they'll be saved. When we see the term under grace, that means that a person is saved by grace. Now you could think of keeping the law a bit like a cricket match. A batsman is batting and doing a fine job of it. He makes no mistakes and is piling on the runs. Then... He makes a mistake and is out. Do the runs he's already made, or the runs he may have made if he hadn't been out, help him? Nope, he's out and can't do anything about redeeming himself. And that's why the law cannot save you. Unfairly, those who honour God and who maintain that God's law, the Ten Commandments, are still binding, have been called by some as 
legalists. Friends, I keep the Sabbath, and it has nothing to do with legalism or trying to earn points to win God's favour. I know perfectly well, and I've repeated it many times on air, that we are and can only be saved by accepting the merits of Christ on our behalf. But, as a saved Christian, I want to honour and please my God who loves me dearly by doing what he has asked, no, not asked, but told me I should do, no more, no less. Friends, we're at the end of today's program, and I want to ask, are you brave enough? Are you committed enough? And do you have the guts enough to do what God wants and set aside what you want or what others tell you to do? It's a very important question. I urge you to stand up for that which is right, to stand up for Jesus. After all, he stood up for you. Be sure to join me next time, won't you? And until then, this is Len signing off and wishing you courage, commitment and peace as you choose to serve the Lord.